Hello, welcome to the hot seat. I'm Martin Rogers here with Tony Travers to discuss the recent conference season and the London mayoral candidates. Welcome, Tony. Hello. So first of all, can you give us an overview of the conference season? Yes. I mean, first, it's interesting to, say, or to be able to say that the LSE uh, put on events about Europe and the future of federal or quasi-federal Britain at both the Labour and Conservative conferences. And we've all been able to watch all of the party conferences as they've unfolded in the last three or four weeks. And I think what they tell us is that British politics is in a really interesting and unusual place because uh, most recently we've seen the Conservatives having their remarkable conference in Manchester where, you know, apart from the protesters outside, inside the conference hall, they were able to lay out their position for an economically liberal future for Britain, a smaller state, but with a strong sense of uh, social liberalism as well. And I think David Cameron's speech was an absolutely deliberate pitch for the centre ground. And that sort of softened the, the, the message that had come from Theresa May about immigration. So the Conservatives are definitely trying to inch their way into the centre ground at a time when the Labour Party is struggling, clearly struggling, to decide exactly what it now is. They've got a new leader. Lots of Labour MPs, in fact, almost all Labour MPs didn't vote for Jeremy Corbyn. But the truth is they've got to uh, make do with him for now. He got a big mandate. He and John McDonnell will want to come up with some policy so we can understand what Labour now stands for. But they didn't do that at the party conference. It was too soon. So I think the Conservatives clearly were able to come slightly better out of the two conferences, frankly, because they got a clearer message. As for the other parties, the Liberal Democrats, UKIP, SNP and so on, their parties came and went uh, without a massive impact on the British political system. And I think that tells us that what we've now reached, really, is for the time being anyway, and things can change, but for, for the time being, one where the Conservative Party is pretty dominant now across the middle and centre-right of British politics. So the first of the conferences was the Liberal Democrat one, another party with a, a new leader. So what role does the conference played in securing their fight back from their current position? Well, Tim Farron clearly decided he needed to win the confidence of his remaining MPs and activists, though quite a, they had quite a big turnout, actually, at their conference. They really needed to G them up to get them feeling that it's not all over for the Lib Dems. I mean, the Lib Dems face a very difficult future because they've discovered that if they go into government, which is, after all, what most serious parties want to... Uh, then they, the next election suffer very badly. But, of course, if they don't try to go into government, what do they exist for? So that now I think they exist for trying to build up their councillor numbers and their activist base and to do what they did in the 70s and 80s and 90s all over again, hoping it doesn't take so long. So I think what uh, the new Liberal Democrat leader was trying to do is to give his party a sense that he loved them and they loved him, with a view, presumably, then to take that message out and not get trapped too early and, you know, in, uh, in any one position. And, of course, Labour has given the Lib Dems an opportunity if only the Lib Dems can exploit it. So to move on to Labour, then, this was Jeremy Corbyn's first chance as leader to speak to the nation um, beyond the party in his conference speech. Is that an opportunity he took? I'm not sure he took it that much, no. I think, uh, you know, for Jeremy Corbyn, this is a very big change. Hitherto, 
as a backbench MP, he's been able to say and do and think and behave in the way he wants. And by common consent, you know, people liked him exactly for that. They may not have agreed with him, they liked him. Now suddenly he's expected to have views which uh, inform a national party's platform. And, you know, he got into some difficulty, I think it's fair to say, not with all the stuff about the Privy Council and, and all of that, but with the question of whether he would or wouldn't press the nuclear button because that issue is one which divides him very obviously from shadow cabinet members, many of whom he desperately needs to keep in the shadow cabinet so he can't have an argument with them. So that's all left sort of hanging. So I think thus far he hasn't really been able to come up with a a working compromise. And so what he's had to do is really to talk about the things he feels, his general approach to things, but not yet a visible Labour platform to carry the the party ahead. And what is the position of the Labour Party coming out of the conference? I'm not sure it advanced very much. I mean, the Labour Party conference, which took place in day after day of luxury sunshine in Brighton, uh, was a sort of slightly unusual affair where nobody could quite believe anything that had happened had happened. Lots of people there, lots of enthusiasm at fringe events and so on. But I'm not sure anybody would have left Brighton with any clearer view about where the Labour Party was going from now on. And that's a big issue, given how important the opposition and the main opposition party is in Britain to the British constitutional settlement. You know, we live in whether we like it or not, a sort of two-party system with first-past-the-post voting. And the opposition party, the main opposition party, has an important role at any time in that. So it's important for the Labour Party to get this right. But, you know, I'd argue it's important for the British Constitution as well. So what are the sort of events that we should look out for to test the sort of electoral viability of a Corbyn-led Labour Party? So obviously we have the Mayor of London in May 2016... What other things should we look out for to give us um, an idea of the situation? Well, there are by-elections every, almost every Thursday in, in local government, and those give you a sense. I mean, it's not a particularly clear pattern yet, but once the uh, party conference season has gone away, we begin to look at the underpinning run of local elections. That will give us an early clue, as, of course, do opinion polls, which are currently showing the Conservatives reasonably well ahead of Labour, but again, we have to wait till the polls well after the conferences, I think, to be certain about that. Thereafter, you're right, it's the London mayoral election next uh, May, but on the same day, the Scottish parliamentary election. Now, nobody expects Labour to do brilliantly in the Scottish parliamentary election, but there's a sort of not very well, bad and very bad spectrum that I think people will be looking at and everybody will be trying to talk up and down expectations about that. Then the Welsh elections. Now, Wales, uh, Labour has the first ministry in Wales. It's not the majority party, but it's a big party in Wales. They will want not to fall back. So in these three places, and of course in a full suite of local elections, uh, particularly in the urban north, we will want to see how they all play out. And that's going to be big. If it goes badly for Labour, that would be you know, an early ominous sign for Jeremy Corbyn. But if it goes so-so, then that's, you know, takes him forward a few more months. So to move on to the Conservative conference, we've touched on it already. So how important is the Conservative positioning of themselves as a sort of centre party? Um, How important is the machinations for the the next leader 
Osborne, May, Johnson, others. How important is that? Does it risk overshadowing Cameron's authority in his role? I mean, thus far, Cameron hasn't shown any concern about being overshadowed by uh, George Osborne or Theresa May or Boris Johnson. And indeed, you know, one of the most fascinating things about this government, and indeed it was true of the coalition, is the incredibly close and effective working relationship between Cameron as Prime Minister and Osborne as Chancellor. I mean, you don't just have to look at, you know, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair, but Mrs Thatcher with Nigel Lawson, Mrs Thatcher with Geoffrey Howe, to see how badly these things can turn out. And actually, the Osborne-Cameron relationship is an incredibly strong one. Now, you know, the, the Conservatives have pitched themselves, as I said earlier, in a sort of liberal, small L on the economy. So a smaller state, much smaller state, mustn't forget that, but also relatively liberal on social issues, with this one exception of immigration, which Theresa May ran with, where the Conservative Party, you know, by many people will be seen as a bit harsh, but I think compared with public opinion, it's probably quite near the mainstream, actually, and that's what I'm sure they realise. So looking forward, you know, what did the party conference season do for Boris, Theresa, George? I'm not sure it made a big difference, actually, because, you know, George Osborne made a big speech, which, you know, got a lot of coverage and was reasonably well received. Theresa May did her big immigration speech. Boris Johnson made a, you know, a big speech, lots of jokes about rugby and so on. The audience, the, the, you know, the party conference loves him. Um, so, you know, this is all going to play out. And, of course, it plays out against the backdrop of us not knowing when David Cameron is going to stand down or whether, you know, in the Euro referendum, you know, if Britain voted to leave the EU, perhaps he'd have to stand down earlier than everybody's expecting or not. So there's so many imponderables as to how long he stays on and when then this uh, famous succession takes place. But I guess that by the time of the next election, we definitely have to know who is the next Conservative leader. So to move on to the issue of Europe briefly, was it uh, much of an issue at the Conservative Party conference? And has it breathed new life into uh, UKIP, who, although they did very well in terms of votes, were disappointed to only have one MP now? I mean... There's no question that at the Conservative Party conference there were rooms packed with people, particularly on the Leave uh, side, debating the future of Europe. As it happens, the LSE uh, held its events at the party conferences on Europe. As, you know, our colleague Simon Hicks took part, Professor Annan Menon from King's College, and then at the Labour Party conference... Uh, Anne Cluid MP and Vicky Price, and at the Conservative Party conference, David Lidington, the Euro Minister, and Joe Valentine, Baroness Valentine from London first. So we had a really kind of serious debate at that about way, the way it's all going. And I think, in fairness, the, although most of the people in the rooms either believed we weren't going to leave the EU or didn't want to leave the EU, and that was true at both conferences, I suspect... Uh, that we didn't take a vote, a proper vote. Um, having said that, we did actually at the Labour Party. At the Labour Party, there was a vote, and everybody in the room uh, at the fringe meeting wanted to stay in the EU, intriguingly, because at the Conservative Party, we took a vote on whether they thought we would leave, and most people thought we wouldn't. But against that backdrop, I think that the um, party conferences showed the beginnings of the outline of what it's going to be like during this long-running campaign up to the vote probably in 2017, possibly earlier, 
on whether we stay in or get out. So to move on to the Mayor of London election, so who are the candidates to start with? Well, the, of the two major parties who tended to come easily first or second, so we ought to consider them first, uh, the Conservatives uh, chose Zach Goldsmith uh, and Labour have chosen Sadiq Khan. In fact, Labour chose Sadiq Khan slightly earlier than the Conservatives chose Zach Goldsmith. Beyond that, Caroline Pidgeon, uh, who's an Assembly member, is standing for the Liberal Democrats. Uh, Sean Berry is standing for the Greens. Uh, George Galloway is going to stand, um, and that will certainly add to the uh, excitement of the contest. Um, so we've got a fair number of you know, reasonably high-profile candidates in place. There's an enormous amount to play for. Going back to the discussion we were having earlier on, you know, London is on balance a Labour city these days. So, you know, other things being equal, Conservatives in early mid-term, a year out from an election, they've been in power, or they'll have been in power in varying degrees for six years, including the coalition. You know, Labour ought to have a really good chance, but we still don't know where the Corbyn-led Labour Party will be, and therefore whether that's going to help or hinder Sadiq Khan. Zach Goldsmith, of course, being an MP like Sadiq Khan, but each of them now needs to come up with a position which... You know, in the case of Sadiq Khan, he'll have to tax centre, I suspect, away from the Corbyn uh, centre of gravity. And Zach Goldsmith is a sort of maverick, centrist conservative, and he will need to lean further to the centre, I guess, as well. So, you know, it's going to be two mainstream centrist politicians, not to say that the others don't have, they all have second preference votes, which will end up being important. But if the past is our guide, then it'll be a runoff between a Labour and Conservative candidate. So is there any chance, do you think, of a candidate from outside of those two winning? Or will one of those two be sitting in City Hall as the victor? Well, last time, Siobhan Benita, who stood as an independent, and I believe is standing again as an independent, um, put up a very good performance as an outsider. I mean, it's very hard for independents in any aspect, of certainly high-profile or parliamentary British politics, to break through. And I think she did as <clears throat> really as well as any independent can. And, I mean, you can never know. I mean, you know, in the never-say-never never world of British politics, which is kind of where we are now, um, you never say never to any of these things. So to talk about two things at the same time, what are the issues that are going to be important, what are the issues that are currently important with regards to London? And as a sort of separate thing, what issues are within the mayor's power so what issues, sort of national issues, will decide this election and what local issues that the mayor will have some effect over will be important? I mean, there's no doubt the mood music about, you know, where Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party are going, where David Cameron and the EU and all that's going, that, that will affect the London vote. But the key London issues now, I suspect, in broadly this order, are one, housing, that didn't used to be the number one issue in London, but it now is. Two, transport, that used to be the number one. But vying with pollution, I mean, it's interesting how both housing and pollution, you know, pollution in, in airborne pollution, have risen up the political agenda. And I suspect that this election will hear more, much more about housing and pollution than in any previous mayoral election. 
something about transport, but less so. Now, these are things that mayors can do something about. The mayor has resources and planning powers in relation to housing. The mayor is responsible for transport for London and therefore can influence elements of roads policy, pollution by vehicles and so on when it comes to that subject. But your question is a, a good one because inevitably once you have a big contest like this, people will say, well, you know, why doesn't the mayor do something about the NHS in London or why doesn't the mayor do something about rent control in London? And in fact, there are, you know, these are not things the mayor can do. They can ask Parliament or the government to change things, but they can't do... They can't, rent control is a good example. Lots of people in London would argue for rent control, but the truth is the mayor cannot impose a system of rent control under existing legislation unless Parliament changed the law. Great. Thank you very much, Tony. Your thoughts, Thanks, Martin.